Thanks for downloading this show from PC1. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. The following program is a podcast1.com production. So glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Speaking of ripoffs, there's a lawsuit concerning a ripoff from cell phone companies. I need to tell you what's going on. Make sure you aren't paying money you're not supposed to. That'll be in the Clark Rage in 20 minutes. And then... Later yesterday, I talked about a problem with insurers digging up data on you when you make a claim, and I've got some important updates for you, as I promised, and as we always do, if I name a company, they get a chance to go on and have their say, and today someone from State Farm will be on with me about the allegations concerning them Uh, accusing someone of fraud and causing legal problems for them that turned out to not be true. So we get to hear State Farm's side of it and see where it is versus prior published media reports. And including what I said, because I harshed on him pretty hard yesterday. So I have made fun of Gillette and its razors for years. And I have done a number of things over the years trying off-brand razors and alternative brand razors. And also, for years, I have dried my razor each time after I use it. And it makes the blade last a lot longer. I'm using the same blade now that I started using last November. And it's really time for me to ditch that blade. It's not shaving smoothly. But I have this silly game with myself where I try to get the blade to last as long as possible. The longest I ever did was 14 months. It was foolish. The blade was really not uh, a good experience for many months, but I was just trying to see if I could get it to last for such a long time. And that's because Gillette, which has long completely dominated shaving, charges a zillion dollars for their blades. It's not unusual for a Gillette razor blade to be five, six dollars for a single blade. Well, guess what? Gillette no longer dominates shaving in the United States. They used to be the pretty much the whole business in America. And because of people like Dollar Shave Club and the thing I told you about months ago about Harry's setting up the displays in the Target stores, the market share of Gillette keeps going down, down, down because these alternatives are so much cheaper. And there are now blades that are available for about a quarter that people are happy using. And now the Wall Street Journal has found out that Gillette is realizing, oops, people don't necessarily love our blades anymore. And so what are they going to do? They're going to cut the price of a lot of their blades. The price cuts roughly 20%, according to the Wall Street Journal. 
but why even spend 20% less than outrageous? So I have designed an experiment. There is a blade that has a cult following. I have one in my hand right now that is a blade that's sold in Dollar Tree and I think also 99-cent-only stores sell them. They come two to a pack, blue for men, pink for women. They don't charge more for the women's version. You get these six-bladed razors for 50 cents each. And people rave about these blades. Our producer, Kim, says they're great. Now, do you use blue or pink? I use the pink one because it doesn't cost more. And you're just thrilled with it, right? I am. I love it. It's been about a year and a half. So I figured one person is not enough of a sample. So I went to Dollar Tree and I bought six two-packs. And 12 of my staffers are going to test these, men and women. And for the women, I'm sorry, they're all blue-handled. I didn't buy pink. So we're going to test them, and then we're going to get a consensus and report to you. Actually, it won't be a consensus. I'll give you actual numbers. How many of the 12 think these things are great? How many think they're okay? How many think they're the worst thing ever? And for TV, I'm going to shave on one side of my face with this one. And this isn't much of a test because I already use an off-brand razor. I use a uh, Korean razor called a Dorco. What an unfortunate name. But Dorco is a big seller of razors overseas, not big in the United States, so they're very inexpensive here. And so I'm going to compare my Dorco I've been using, again, since last November. Maybe I should change it out for a new blade. It wouldn't be fair to use one I already say is wearing out. So I'll change the Dorco. I've only gotten five months out of it. I will change that blade and compare side to side and see which is the better experience, if I can distinguish a difference. And maybe I got something for you where even if you like to change your blade way too often, like weekly or something, if you're paying 50 cents each versus paying Gillette five bucks, you're going to save some real money. Gillette, you got a lot more to do than lower the price of your blades by 20%. But that's my opinion. Our sample of 12 may say paying real money is really worth it. Ann is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Ann, you have the craziest story to share with me, don't you? I sure do, Clark. So you got something that happened with PayPal that is beyond anything I've ever heard? Well, I'll tell it to you. This began 17 years ago, back in the year 2000. I was a sophomore in college, and I signed up for a PayPal account, and they verified my credit card account. And in the typical way is they deposit just a couple cents into the account and pull it back out. Well, accidentally, they put in $2,000 into my credit card account. Instead well, of 2 cents, they put 2000 that is right. Wow. It locked up my credit card account, but I, I didn't know what was going on. I was, I was a naive college student. I was just getting started in the world, 
it froze up, froze up my credit and my credit card. I couldn't use it, and I didn't really know what was going on. I didn't really ch- see what was happening until the next bank statement. Well, PayPal didn't really do a whole lot about it. I, they didn't even try to pull it out that I'm aware of. They sent me an email that just said, hey, did something strange happen with your card in the amount of $2,000? And it was signed, Josh. Well, I was afraid that I was getting scammed because, you know, you deposit a whole bunch of money on the card and maybe they're going to try and pull out even more. I didn't know, and it didn't seem like a very official email. So I was afraid, I panicked, and I didn't do anything. I didn't respond to the email, and I didn't ask for any help from my, from my family because I was afraid if they saw my credit card statement, they would knew I was, knew I was visiting my boyfriend on the weekends when I should have been buckling down on my studies. <laughs> so... Uh, PayPal didn't contact me anymore, and I didn't do anything else. But months later, the credit card company issued me a check for the, the credit that was on my account. They issued me a check for about $1,700, the $2,000 minus the 300 balance that I, I currently had on the card. Um, but I, didn't, I never deposited the check. Uh, it wasn't my money, and I still didn't know what to do. I didn't want to take money that wasn't mine, so I never deposited it. Uh, Time passed, and that money went to the state of California, and it's been sitting there for probably 16 years now. With the unclaimed Uh, property office of the state? That's correct. That's where it's been. But my husband, (laughs) you know, fast forward, I'm married, I finished college, I got married, I have two girls now, and we're looking to to buy a house in a couple years. So we want to get our debts paid off, and we, you know, get this cleared up so that we can move forward in life. And I want to get PayPal their money, but my big concern is if I call them up and say, hey, I want to give you $2,000 from a 17-year-old debt um, that's currently well beyond the statute of limitations, and I'm sure they have long since written off their books. Oh, they they would have, first of all, from our experience with PayPal, when things are the other way, when somebody has a problem, it's extremely difficult with PayPal to get any human to actually look at something. And so right. and you you were feeling guilty when you never had an un, what's known as an unjust enrichment. You never took the money. You never did anything with it. And right. so you haven't right. done anything wrong. And I'm going to tell you the weirdest suggestion. This shouldn't affect you in any way with anything in your life. But if you want to do something have the state of California send you the check for $1,700 okay. and then donate it to your favorite charity. Okay. And then you so, still haven't had, you still haven't done anything you shouldn't have done. And Because uh-huh. if you tried to get somebody at PayPal to care, first of all, you call and tell them you're feeling guilty that you've had $2,000 of their money for 17 years. They're going to say, yeah, why are you calling me? I mean, they're just, even if you could talk to a human at PayPal, which good luck with that. So just just take it and do something good with it. Create some good, what would they call that, good karma or something? Because you never created any bad karma. You You didn't take the money and go spend it in a way you shouldn't have. And if you want it to fully feel like you made it whole... Get the seventeen hundred from the state. Add three hundred dollars to it, and donate two thousand somewhere. So you recommend I, I not even attempt to contact them? I wouldn't I mean, even I, will, wouldn't will, even begin I'm willing to try. Wouldn't begin okay. to contact them. 
Yeah, I don't want to open up the can of worms. Certainly, of oh no, no, no. I, I want no. you. I want you to enjoy your two daughters. I want you to enjoy your life with your husband. I want you just to enjoy your new house because you're not going to have any time left in your life if you keep trying to reach somebody at PayPal because it's not going to happen. Because I can tell you, we could we could open a discussion link on our general message board on Clark.com, and you'd have one person after another after another talk about what it's like trying to reach a human at PayPal. So wow! So don't bother. Okay, just, just do something good with it. Make a difference, and. Uh, and there's, there's got to be something that really is near and dear to your heart, right? Some charity. Yep, yep. I'm, yep. I'll, I'll. So, so give to them. It's time for today's Clark Rageous Moment. And there are some special lessons in today's Clark Rageous Moment for your wallet. Spams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous Moment. The New York Post makes some serious allegations about Verizon Wireless that should really pique your interest if you are a Verizon Wireless customer. Now, you may be aware that one of the areas that's most active with identity theft is when somebody impersonates you to add lines of service to an existing cell phone plan. So let's say you have a family plan. They'll impersonate you. They go into a store for the cell phone carrier. They add multiple lines of service. They have a false ID as if they're you. And they walk out. They got the new phones charged to you. They have the new lines of service, blah, blah, blah. So this is a rampant fraud problem in the cell phone business because they do their part. They ask to see a picture ID and all that. But the criminals just create the fake IDs. And if they know who you are and what contract you have and all that, bam, they're in. I'm not even going to get into how they know who has service with whom and all that. So if Verizon detects fraud, they will potentially deactivate the lines, but they continue the bill until you notice, this is the allegations of both the New York Post and the lawsuit, that they will continue to bill you till you notice and say, hey, what are these charges? So that's crazy, isn't it? And one of the people that they talk about here is a guy who has auto bill, auto pay, and didn't notice for five months, because he had auto pay, that he was being billed 80 extra dollars a month for the lines that actually never went into service. Verizon's fraud department was uh, amazing in that they said that it's not Verizon's corporate policy to notify their customers about potential or detected fraud, end quote. So here's what you need to know. So many of us have, and whether all these allegations about Verizon are true or not, the courts will decide. I just want you to have your antenna up that any time you have something auto-billed and auto-pay, and maybe you get e-statements, at your peril, you don't check the statements, you don't check the bills. 
and you don't check to see how much money is coming out of your checking account or being billed to a credit card. Now, I happened to notice on my cell phone bill, there was a false $9 charge. Yeah, I'm like that. Over the course of a year, that would have been $108 of mine that would have flown out the window. That is not okay with me. What was that for? I had gotten a new phone for one of the lines of service on my plan. I was asked at the time if I wanted to have the um, insurance thing on the phone. I said, no, I'll just buy a new phone if it breaks or gets stolen. And he said, you sure you don't want it? I said, I'm sure I don't. And then guess what shows up on the bill? The charge for $9 a month for the insurance. And if I didn't look at my bills like I do, I would just be paying that month after month. Take that as a lesson for you. Okay, here are some really surprising car facts for you. In Churchill, Canada, residents leave their cars unlocked. That's in case someone needs to escape a polar bear. It's true. And in Sweden, drivers are required by law to keep their headlights on at all times. Day, night, rain, sunshine, doesn't matter. And now, here's another interesting and actually helpful thing about cars that you might not know. True Car also helps people get used cars. That's right. TrueCar isn't just for new cars. Their certified dealer network also has an inventory of over 700,000 pre-owned cars nationwide. So whether you're looking for a new or used car, you can get real pricing on actual inventory and a better buying experience through the TrueCar certified dealer network. Oh yeah, here's another fun fact. TrueCar customers can see if they're getting a good or great price before they buy. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with their TrueCar certified dealers. So when you're ready to buy that car, new or used, visit TrueCar and enjoy a better car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. When you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. When you're looking for deals, ClarkDeals.com is the place. Yesterday in our Clark Rages moment, I talked about a woman in Iowa who ended up falsely accused of having arsoned her own house for the insurance money, ends up in jail, charged with having done such, such and ends up there uh, through her birthday. I mean, just a miserable, miserable experience for this woman from Iowa. Jacqueline Bentley is her name. Took her three years to clear her name that she had not committed fraud and arson with her own home. And her insurer was State Farm. And State Farm was actually the instigator through its investigators of getting local law enforcement to look into it. And she was charged and arrested and then went through a terrible, terrible number of years trying to clear her reputation and her name. Now, yesterday, I was intense about State Farm's role in this. State Farm 
as one of the pieces they relied on to decide that she had committed fraud, subpoenaed cell phone records and was able to establish, as best they thought, that she was at her house and not where she claimed to be, which was on a camping trip. State Farm is actually willing to go on the air with me, and I was quite surprised by that because generally insurers will not go on the air when something like this has gotten in the news. And so I'm pleased to be joined now by Justin Tomzak. And Justin, you are a media relations specialist for State Farm, and I'd like to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Thank you, Clark. It is an honor to be on your show. It's a great, great show, and I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time and reaching out again. Well, you know, I never want to have the last word, and it's very important to me whenever I call out a company for the company to be offered the opportunity to have its say. And in this case, this sounds like a terrible, terrible event and that State Farm goofed and that it caused a real hardship for this lady. Well, two, two things right off the bat. First of all, as for all of our customers, we do not discuss the specifics of a claim with a third party. That's, our customers have a right to privacy, and we, we completely respect that. And so, as I mentioned to your producer, I, I couldn't come on the air and give specifics of this claim. Additionally, when there is ongoing litigation on a claim, it's also inappropriate for, for me to be discussing that in a public venue. That would need to be resolved in the courts, which is where it belongs. But there was a couple of things that, that caused concern from the broadcast. One was that, I think you mentioned State Farm wouldn't talk to you about it, and that's, here I am today, ready to talk to you in general. So I wanted to make that clear. The second thing is, I think there's, there could be a misperception that cell phone records are frequently pulled or are frequently part of the claims process. And that's simply not the case. We thoroughly investigate claims. The one you referenced, I believe, is a house fire. That's a significant event. We spend a lot of resources looking into it to determine what caused that fire and then hopefully to draw lessons for what could be done to prevent fires in the future. But we thoroughly investigate it. It is a rare occasion when we would go to the lengths of getting phone records. It's a rare occasion. And I, that was not reported in the initial coverage of this. The other thing that was referenced was, was something along the lines of that we put somebody in jail. We're an insurance company. We're not law enforcement. We can't arrest anybody. We can't put anybody in jail. So yeah, but, but the allegations came from your investigator turned over to local authorities that then decided, yeah, this looks like a case of fraud and arson, and they arrested her. There are a multitude of factors that go into the investigation of a claim. That's in general, multiple factors. We cooperate fully in our investigations with law enforcement. And if we have information, we share it with law enforcement. If they are conducting an investigation and request it from us, we comply with that, obviously. But it's not an accurate picture to say that a phone record was what caused law enforcement on its own to investigate this or what caused the possibility of a claim being denied. For, for 
State Farm to deny a homeowner's claim, it's a high bar because if if we do that, odds are it's going to go to it's going to go to court, and and that's a very expensive process. So you would not see a company just deny a claim based on one item of evidence or one phone record or one piece of information. There would be a multitude of information that's used. Well, uh, let's let's put, since we can't talk about specific people right now, let's deal with something in general. Okay. There, There's something that I get again and again from people who call me that are in the midst of a claim, and most often it's homeowner, not auto, that I get this particular scenario where people feel that the insurance company is treating them as an adversary and not as an insured, and... I had, uh, it's not your insurance company, but I had an executive of another insurance company tell me that they assume that everybody who files a claim is going to try to get one over on the company. And so what I'm concerned about is that people pay premiums year after year after year and are shocked when they're treated in a way where they feel like they are being looked at as somebody who's trying to take advantage or trying to cheat the insurer instead of just trying to get their life going again. Well, I, I would strongly disagree with what that executive, thankfully, from another company uh, communicated. Our State Farm is a mutual company. We are owned by our customers. We are there for them. We are proud of our agency network, which our agents have wonderful, many times decades-long relationships with our customers. And we're there for them when they need us. And when you file that claim because you've had a loss at your home or your vehicle, that's why you have insurance. And so we take it as our privilege, our responsibility, and, and the opportunity to serve our customers when they need us most. And um, we, State Farm has a great reputation. That's why when I saw the story yesterday, I was like, i got to call in because State Farm does the right thing. We take care of our customers. And, and we thoroughly investigate claims. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on the air. And as far as Jacqueline, I hope that the company will deal with her situation now. It's been three years, and we're going to do something else. We're going to offer her an opportunity to go on the air. Gotcha. And we'll and hear. I I, uh, I won't call. I won't call in for that one. But, but uh, <laughs> probably, I'll probably I'll probably tune in. But but I would encourage you, Clark. Look into the look into the matter. Look into the there's 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 a criminal element and there's a civil element. Those are two different courts. There's two different standards of evidence that apply there. Look into look into the case and uh, and. Uh, you know, you you can draw your own conclusions about it, but uh, I obviously won't be won't be commenting on it here, and uh, we'll be we'll be dealing with with the litigation on it. All right. Well, Justin Tomzak with State Farm Media Relations Specialist, thank you for joining us on the Clark Howard Show. And this issue of how people are treated when they have a claim is an industry issue. And I do think that there's been a change in the culture generally with insurers where they look at us with suspicion when we have a large claim. I don't know if you've heard the story about the person who in California who was insured with a Ameriprise 
who was awarded by a jury $1.3 million in both compensatory and punitive damages because his home was burglarized. And when it was burglarized, I'm not aware of this, but burglars apparently to cover their tracks will fill, stop up a bathtub, turn on the water, and let it flood the house so it destroys evidence that would help the police try to figure out who the burglars are. Well, in the process, the burglars caused massive damage to the home. But Ameriprise was accused and lost and now has to pay for refusing to pay the claim because they decided, apparently, that he had somehow vandalized his own house. And so this thing with insurers being so suspicious of their insureds, it's not specific to one company or another, but it is an insurance company culture that worries me today. And that's why when I talk about picking an insurer for auto or homeowners, I strongly encourage you to look at the J.D. Power and Consumer Reports list of who are the insurers that are there for you when you have a claim. Because who offers the cheapest premium or the most expensive premium, neither is an indicator of what kind of service you're going to get when the chips are down. And I want you with somebody who is there to serve you. It's a complicated business. And yes, there are people who engage in fraud. Think about all the car wreck rings that are very sophisticated that are designed just to rip off insurance companies. But it is my belief and my years of experience that most people are doing what they should be doing and are only trying to get fair compensation following an auto accident or a homeowner's issue. Uh, Susan, (laughs) you want to follow up on this conversation and you want to talk about shopping for auto and homeowners is that right yes i do okay so what's your situation right now well my situation is that we were with one company for about 22 years roughly and the insurance agent that we had was wonderful he was very helpful very supportive and you know anytime we had a rate increase I could always call him and ask him, you know, why, and he would explain it. I would understand it. Uh, But then, unfortunately, he retired, and my account was given to another agent who, honestly, I felt like he could not have cared less whether I was a customer of theirs or not. Well, I am sorry. Well, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, but see, that's not smart, because he he was handed your book of business, and all he needed to do was make you smile. That's exactly right. And not only did he lose mine, he also lost my daughter and her husband's insurance as well. So he actually lost two customers uh, because of the way one customer was treated. Um, but then I did change companies, and, you know, I understood that the first six months there was going to be a discount. I had no issue with that. When it went up in six months, I understood that. Uh, now we've been there about a year and a half, and we just had a $28 per month increase. Have you had any claims since you switched to them? 
we have never had we have never we have never filed a claim period okay in, in all of our lives all right so i need to tell you something about insurance industry pricing now insurance companies use what are known as loyalty index scores and because you were with the first company you said 20 what years about 22 years you have an ultra high loyalty score and so insurers take that loyalty score and they say oh this person's just going to stay with us no matter what we do and they will continually bump your rates up Mm -hmm. so insurers now use a weird system that the if your loyalty index score is low they will keep your premiums reasonable but if your loyalty index score is high they will steadily raise rates because you're resistant to change you like doing what you've been doing you don't challenge it right so you're getting punished for being that way yeah now remember i said in what i was just talking about with auto and homeowners insurer insurance to go with the companies that rank the highest and the two companies that rank the absolute highest for how they deal with customers sometimes they'll be more expensive but generally not and i like for you if you go shop your business again to look at these two if you're eligible for both or look at one if you're only eligible for one but by far the highest scores are earned by usaa which is for military and their families and then Amica Mutual, A-M-I-C-A Mutual. Mm-hmm. And those two are the absolute highest rated for how they handle claims of all auto and homeowners insurers in the country. And Amica and USA will trade positions this year. USA ranks one point higher, but with an unbelievable score of 93 for USAA, 92 for Amica, virtually unprecedented for somebody in the insurance business to earn that high a score for customer satisfaction. Veronica is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Veronica, you are the second time anyone's ever called me to ask me your question. What is it? Well, it's about investing in marijuana or cannabis penny stock. And is that a viable uh investment well there are people doing it but i think it's really dangerous for your money any money you would put into marijuana stocks at this point they're thinly traded they're what's known as pink sheet or you refer to them as penny stocks they are extremely speculative and the odds are that whatever money you put in is going to get wiped out Ah. and there's a wonderful write-up if you will look using google or whatever search engine you do the motley Uh fool wrote a much more comprehensive thing than what i said before about why i wouldn't do it because of the Uh uh, how speculative it is but they Uh have 10 reasons why you should not look at investing in penny stock in uh, marijuana stocks that the chances Uh are so great that whatever you put in you'll lose and i would Uh go read their full write-up on it but it's not time yet for you know it took a long time after prohibition before the stocks of alcohol producers made sense it it's going to be a good while before the producer stocks of marijuana producers to make sense to own because the risks 
way outweigh the potential rewards. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports this podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust, someone who's got your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in just minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank. Skip the waiting. Go completely online at quickenloans.com slash save. That's quickenloans.com slash S-A-V-E. Let Rocket Mortgage help you get the exact mortgage solution that you need. Go to quickenloans.com slash save. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Thanks for joining us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about empowering you with knowledge so that you can keep more of what you make. It's hard to say the other mantra, save more, spend less, avoid getting ripped off. Why not a double dose? of what we're all about here and what our mission is, is to serve you. Clark.com is our website. Our deal site is ClarkDeals.com. Coming up in just 30 minutes, we're going to talk about a scam that is growing around the country that affects, gosh, is it 60 million Americans? i got to make sure that you know and... You remember what I share with you, and you don't get conned. So we have story after story, day after day, about retailers filing for bankruptcy, retailers closing stores, and companies that are looking for an angel to buy them and let them stay in business. Retail is going through a massive transition. So we only hear about the loss, and we hear about how many jobs are being cut at this retailer, that one, or the other one. But what about this? Because of the way retail is changing, 6,000 new jobs are being created at UPS. And UPS, not everybody makes good money there, but generally the jobs pay very well. You work hard at UPS. They expect a lot of you. But you're usually paid a decent wage. And UPS is doing something that for... They are an extremely conservative company. And change comes there after much deliberation. They have deliberated. And they have decided that they've fallen behind the times, that they think the days that delivery should take place is Monday to Friday. And now they're adding Saturday delivery as a routine thing. And that's why they need 6,000 more people. FedEx, for a while, has been doing Saturday delivery. And obviously the Postal Service, known for six-day delivery, now is a seven-day delivery service, not for mail, but for packages. The market has shifted and people are shifting with it 
and jobs are materializing that no one would have imagined would be there. I was I flew into Jacksonville, Florida last week and I was driving down a road near the airport and there's this massive massive building under construction gigantic facility there's a new four-lane divided road being built from interstate 95 to this facility on one side and a bypass freeway i-295 that goes to interstate 10 being built on the other side of it what is it an amazon warehouse You know, retail, like so many other things in American capitalism, changes over time. And so you have to look for where opportunity is presenting itself, where it's going to be, rather than where it was. And no, not every retailer in America is closing. Many retailers are doing great. I was just reading a story about Zara, the women's fashion-forward retailer that's from Spain, and they are booming beyond belief. Booming. And they are a traditional store kind of business. But they came up with a logistics method where they're able to get new fashion from when they design it into the stores in two weeks rather than six months. And women love that, to be able to have the newest fashion, bam, like that. See in a magazine, buy it in the store the next week. So UPS now adding the sixth day. How far are we away from FedEx and UPS offering seven days? I don't think very far. They may roll their eyes at that, but the marketplace is moving that way. And there are going to be things that we can't even picture yet that are going to come even in sectors like retail. So, yeah, the headline writers write about Sears failing or any of a number of fill-in-the-blank retailers failing, or closing stores, or the financial problems of Macy's, or whatever. But the thing is, in a free market, there are always the winners and always the losers. And you want to hitch your wagon to the winners where the opportunity may reside. Taylor is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Taylor. How are you doing? Great, thank you. You are headed to Cuba. I am indeed, yep. Okay, so when you land in Cuba, make sure you say to the the uh, the immigration person you run into, say, Cuba, see, Castro, no. It'll get you real far in the country. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. Yeah, don't, don't say any of that. <laughs> yeah. So is That's it your first trip to Cuba? It is, yeah. First trip to Cuba, so I'm excited about it. My uh, my middle child just was in Cuba just weeks ago and had a great experience with everything except she could not stand the food. 
well, I look forward to the food, but everybody I talk to says it's a great experience and they've had no problems. So, All right. Well, how can I be of service with the trip you're taking? Well, it might be too late because I've already done it, but um, just curious if I did the right thing. So everything I've read about or talked to people that have went said, convert the U.S. dollar because there's an extra 10% charge with the U.S. dollar to either euros or Canadian dollars um, for the conversion rates and everything. So I, I actually went ahead and did it. I converted my money to mostly Canadian dollars, and I kept a, a couple hundred for U.S. dollars still in my pocket. But So my original question was, would it be smart to convert my U.S. dollars to Canadian dollars to take there? Well, I sent my daughter with only Canadian dollars and euros. And for people who are okay. not aware, the airlines have added far more seats to Cuba than the marketplace has wanted. Airlines are starting to discontinue service to Cuba that they had added. So there are some uh, very good deals sometimes on the flights to Cuba. Did you get one of those great deals? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. For the flight there, I paid, and I paid for my girlfriend and I for the flight there. It was like $400, and it was with one of those companies that you had to add a bunch of, you know, for your bags, for your seats. And on the way home, I... I booked with a different airline, which everything comes including, and uh, more room, obviously. And so that was about five hundred. I, I basically got both of us there and back round trip from Denver for nine hundred bucks. Okay, and compared to what it used to be for those charter flights to Cuba, that's really a deal. From the East Coast, people have been finding even cheaper deals to Cuba, but that's uh, that's a unique experience you're going to have because as you've heard from everybody it's still frozen in time so my daughter found that she uh, that the euros were very useful but that people weren't that jazzed about taking canadian dollars well great (laughs) and um but that was just her experience and you may find something completely different and people may want to know what's the deal if you pay with uh, U.S. dollars, there's a punitive penalty on the conversion. So they already give you a fake um, a, a fake issuance of Cuban money if you are a foreigner versus the ones that Cubans themselves use. And you know how to make sure you don't get change that's the wrong money that's worth a fraction when they give you change? I did, yeah. yeah, so I looked up and I Googled the all the, um, you know, the, what's on the bill. And, and, and it appears to me that the, the CUC, the, the, new, the new peso, um, does not have any, any uh, figures on them. That is going. correct. No pictures of anybody on them. And so the money the Cubans use has the pictures. The money that foreigners use does not have a picture on it. And you don't want the pictures and change because it immediately cuts the value of your money to 10% of what it was or 1% of what it was, whatever. Yeah, it, I think the conversion for that was like 1 to 24. Almost. Okay, so even worse. All right. So uh, I I have always heard that you'll do fine with Canadian dollars, and maybe my daughter just didn't, didn't really get how to use them, and it'll be much to your advantage, and then you only use your U.S. dollars if you have to. Yeah, so what I, everything I read, too, is that it's better to go to, uh, and they gave a, a couple of names, and I, and I forgot I'd be lying if I just said it, like Acadia or a national bank to really get them to do the exchange. 
And they said, everything I read said, kind of watch out in the airport because they kind of hustle you along, and that's where any kind of scam is going to happen is most likely. So what I was thinking was just going to do my U.S. dollars where I am comfortable with, you know, what I have in my hand. Um, and then, and I'm not taking very many. And then when I get to a town I'm going to go to and I can have more time in a bank to sit down and think about it, then... then that's when you'll change your my, Canadian dollars. Yeah. Did did your daughter happen to say anything about, you know, the best experience where she exchanged her money at? Or She did not, but our producer, Kim, also was in Cuba... At the same time, my daughter was, although I don't know why they never saw each other. How funny is that? It's a big country. So how did you exchange your money? So we, um, I did not have the option to bring Canadian dollars. I would have had to lose money on the exchange firsthand to do that. So I just exchanged the U.S. dollars and took the 10% penalty. But um, I wanted to give you a heads up of the way things work at the airport. There's only one place to exchange money at the international airport when you come in. And it's actually outside of the airport, which when people, we were asking people and they were pointing us outside, we felt like they were just trying to get rid of us and totally misunderstood the situation. The line to get in to change your money is outside of the airport, and then it kind of ushers you back into a window. You'll see it as soon as you step outside the airport. There's a huge line, and there's really only one place to do it. Okay. So I, I don't see a possibility for you really to get scammed at the airport as long as you just go outside and get in that one line. You'll see police officers kind of queuing the line for people. It's pretty clear. Okay. Excellent. Well, have a great time. No, actually, you're not allowed to have fun when you go under the allowed <laughs> reasons. Have a very cultural experience. Well, That's you're there. exactly where I'm going. Yeah. Don't come back with a suntan. You're not supposed to. No, too much fun. Okay. Uh, there, There's uh, people who are intensely curious about going to Cuba, and if you want to go, there's so much information on TripAdvisor about how to do the trip and what you're going to experience. Do not expect, in most places, what you're used to in most Caribbean destinations. You will find people are very hospitable. They haven't reached a point where they've had enough of us and enough of tourists. And almost everybody there has relatives in the United States. And so they are very aware of our culture. We not so much of theirs. James joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, James. Hey, Clark. How you doing? Good. You got a house. You're trying to decide if you should keep it and become a landlord or ditch the thing. Give me the particulars if you could. Well, uh, I bought the house with an FHA loan, so I'm, I'm dealing with the, the MIT payment, which brings my payment a little higher. So um, I'm told I can, uh, I got various quotes on what I feel I could rent it out for. And what I'm looking at is breaking even or potentially paying as much as $300 out of my pocket every month, which is affordable and within the budget. I'm just not sure if it's wise. Well, the question or, would be, uh, you got to start with a most basic one. If you were to sell your house now, will you make money selling it? I've only been in it for a year, so I would probably break even or, or enough to, you know, nothing significant. Okay. So then the issue becomes, 
how, do you think you want to be a landlord? Do you think you want to deal with tenants, finding them, collecting rent from them, repairing things at your house if something goes wrong, getting rid of a tenant if they don't pay their rent? Uh, absolutely not, which is why I would then sell a it. property management company. Uh, yeah, but if you're already at a point where your rent picture looks break-even or losing a few hundred a month, you then have to give up like 10% to the rental management company? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Clark. I wasn't clear. That is with a property management company. Oh, okay. Company. You'd break even yeah. or lose a few hundred a month. I would right. say that now, scenario with you not really wanting to be in that as a business, it's not one of those things that's like, wow, that would be a great rental property. You're not painting that picture. What I would do is I would try to sell your house first. And if it doesn't sell, then become an involuntary landlord. Well, you make it sound so simple. It's something the wife and I have been going back and forth on. We, we've got a killer interest rate that I don't think I'd see again. And it's in an area that I'm told by, by realtors that it, the value is just going up, up and up. And it's, um, so I, and it's one of those things that if I ever want to buy a home of that size again in that area, I wouldn't pay what I paid for it ever again. So that's what's making us think twice about it. So you're saying you might round trip and eventually end up back in the house? I don't know what I don't know. Okay. Uh, this will be our third I, move in three years. Okay. And do you move wherever in the country or in the same area? It's uh, This will be my third, uh, second, third state in five years. Okay. Sell the place. Give okay. up the great interest rate. Be done with it. And if nobody wants to pay you a reasonable price to buy the house, then you turn it into a rental property. But I think your first best move is to see if you can sell it, because you just don't sound like the right candidate to keep it and turn it into a rental property unless you have to. Hey everyone, I'm Maggie McGrath, a staff writer at Forbes magazine and your new host for a show called Forbes on Trump. Politicians are all talk, no action. I'll be speaking with the editors and writers who are reporting on the 45th president. We'll hear what they're finding out about his wealth his business associates, and the ways in which he and his policies are affecting the economy, consumers, and all aspects of the business world. Somebody has to come out and tell it like it is. Along the way, we'll dive into Forbes archives, which contain decades of information that will add context to the current White House administration. So listen to this. Listen to this. That's Forbes on Trump on Podcast One. Subscribe now at iTunes, and don't forget to rate, review, and share. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast. Thanks for joining us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Visit us at Clark.com. Follow us at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. When you have a question, Clark.com slash ask. There is an important ripoff alert for you right now that is affecting many tens of millions of Americans that are on Medicare or about to enter the Medicare system. This is a Clark Howard ripoff alert. The Fraud Watch Network put out a special alert today that Medicare beneficiaries are getting calls from people claiming to work for Medicare. And they're asking for payment to receive your new Medicare card. Or worse, asking you to verify your Medicare number. 
Now, let me tell you what's going on. Two years ago, Congress passed a law that is 20 years overdue that Medicare numbers would no longer be your Social Security number. Because right now, I know this is insane, but the Congress passed a law forever ago that insurance companies could not use your Social Security number as your medical record number. But they exempted Medicare. The reason that Congress passed the law requiring that Social Security numbers no longer be your medical record number is identity theft was growing at that time. And so much of identity theft happens in medical areas and accounts for like half of all identity theft. And so by going to a randomly assigned number, somebody stealing your insurance company individual number would not be of any valid use to them, value or use to them. So why it wasn't considered to be as important to change the Medicare number from Social Security, I don't know. But finally, Congress acted. And so over the next many years, starting in less than a year, when people get a Medicare card as a new enrollee, it will not have your Social Security number on it. People who already receive Medicare and still have is their Medicare number, their Social Security number, and it's printed right on the card. Let's help identity thieves. Let's make it really easy for them. You're going to be assigned a new number as well, a randomly assigned number, and your social won't appear on that card anymore. Well, so Crooks, seeing an opportunity, impersonating employees of Medicare, are calling people and either A, getting money out of them, saying you're not going to be able to get services with your Medicare card unless you get the new Medicare card and your fee is X number of dollars. And think of all the things they can do then. They can get money out of you. They get from you your checking account number or debit card number or your credit card number, and then they're off to the races. And then if they really can pile on, they get you to verify your Medicare number, i.e., you're coughing up to this person who's impersonating a Medicare employee your Social Security number. And then they can engage in full-blown identity theft of you. So this one is serious on so many levels. Number one, Medicare is not going to call you about this new card. Number two, they're never going to ask you to verify your number in a phone call. And number three, the new cards are free and will come automatically. Make sure if you have parents that are Medicare recipients, you have aunt or uncle, older friends, whatever, you are of that age, know this. Avoid getting taken. Do not allow a crook to take advantage of you. The irony of ironies of all this is the new Medicare cards are to reduce identity theft, and clever criminals are using 
the idea of this new card coming is a way to increase identity theft and or steal money. Paul is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Paul. Yeah, Clark, how are you? Great, thank you. You have a question a lot of people are curious about. Yeah, I'm sure you've experienced it any time I go to rent a car or make an airline or hotel reservation online. They always want to know if it's for business or pleasure. And um, I was just wondering what the reason is and is there a better answer? Because I could, you know, uh, in good conscience answer either way on most trips. Yeah, and there's some kind of noise in the background, like a TV or a radio or something. Can you dial that down? Sure, I'm sorry. There you go. Great, thank you. All right, so there's a potential different reason with a car rental than with a ho- with uh, a flight or a hotel. With a car rental, the reason may be when you're asked that question, I'm a member of I travel so much, I'm a member of like everybody's car rental program, is that sometimes there will be a corporate discount that you're entitled to on company travel. You also might have the right under uh, on, a, on a business trip to have additional drivers at no charge. You may have some level of that quasi-fake insurance they offer included for free in your rental. And that's why with a car rental, it's a loaded question when they ask you if the trip is for business or personal reasons. Right. For the airlines, to my knowledge, it's for market research. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to understand the patterns of how far in advance somebody buys a ticket for business travel and how far in advance they buy for personal travel. They also want to uh, learn the patterns how likely is somebody in each category to pay for a seat upgrade or an enhanced seat assignment? And I know that's been very valuable to the airlines because of the stuff I read in industry publications. Uh, airlines across the board have been very surprised how many leisure travelers are paying for options they thought only business travelers would pay for, like an upgrade to premium economy or... Um, an upgrade to uh, like a exit row seat, which they'll charge extra for. Right. So on a car rental, it might be advantageous to list a business trip, whereas on the airline, it doesn't really make. Make it makes no difference other than you helping them with their own gathering of information. With right. a hotel, occasionally there will be a tie-in where you might get a cheaper corporate rate. And these things I talked about with the car rental. And potential corporate rate with a hotel, those tend to apply not to somebody with a small business, but to people who work for larger companies. Right. That's. Um, I just have a small business, so I, I think they were going to, you know, come, at, you know, knocking on my door. Yeah, they're not uh, trying to get you great deals. Now, I have on uh, on my hotel buying guide at Clark.com. I have information about how small businesses can get lower rates potentially on hotels, and that may be of some use to you when you travel. Okay. That's under what on your website? If you go to my travel section where I have uh, advice, you can just uh, just put in the search box at Clark.com, 
hotel. Okay. And you should be able to find the briefing how to save money as a business traveler. All right, Clark. Well, thank you very much. Sure. Have a great day. Bill is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Bill. Hi, Clark. So you have a question for me that I have been all over recently, but not on the air. What is it? Yes. um, I'm trying to do a family history and figure out um, where uh, my family... um, has come from it's kind of a mixed bag um and i've done some research into the different uh sites that offer dna testing so ancestry.com and 23andme are the two bigs of it is there anybody else that should be on my radar um those are the two biggest ones and i have done both of those and I've done it for my TV work, and my results have just come back from both, and I am like the dullest man alive. I didn't find out, I mean, I already knew I was the dullest man in radio, but I didn't know that I was also the dullest man overall. I had nothing interesting in my family background or my health. Very disappointing. I was I couldn't wait to open it and find out nobody ever told me that I was 14% whatever. I had nothing interesting. So and and they were almost identical, which was very interesting to me that as far as my ancestry ancestry.com and 23 and me were off 1% and as far as what they thought I was and so, obviously, that's insignificant. And then on yeah. 23andMe, it showed that I didn't have any um, genetic markers of things that I was having my kids inherit from me that would be health problems. So, that was a relief that I'm not causing them any medical conditions that I'm passing on. Yeah. But I found, you know, as far as the accuracy of both of them, I'm not a scientist, and I'm unqualified to speak on it, but uh, I, was, I was very interested in my results, and I believe them to be true without any scientific backing of that. So we may hear from somebody who is a scientist that'll uh, plant some seeds of doubt as to how accurate the two big testers are. But I, uh, the day before I got my results, Bill, I was sitting with a friend at dinner, and he had just gotten his results on his phone, and we were looking at him together with his wife, and his life was so interesting. And I'm looking at, you know, he's like 7% this and 18% that, and he's this big mix of things from, like, seemed like all over the world except Asia. And so I... When my results come the next day, I open them up on my phone, and I think I'm going to see all this excitement, and I had nothing going on. So try it. You don't have much to lose in the wallet. And see, Bill, what all makes you and your family up, and it should be neat stuff, even though mine wasn't.
Jordan joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jordan. How are you? Hey, Clark. I'm doing good. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly. You were interested in getting into online stock trading. Is that right? That is right. I've been experimenting with a little bit of trading on the virtual stock exchange and did pretty well, so decided I would take a little bit of uh, some money I had set aside and, and see what I could do in the in the real market. And are you going to be buying individual stocks or exchange-traded funds, or where are you uh, looking? Options? Like, how are you thinking about this? To start off, looking at individual stocks. And is this money that, if you lost it, you would lose sleep over it, or is it money that you're willing to learn as you go and you're not going to make yourself go crazy if you lose some money somewhere? Now, this is money that I've I've already pretty much written off and I'm going to use as a learning experience. Well, I, you know, you should be talking with our executive producer, Krista, who has an account to do the same kind of thing you're talking about and uses it as basically a teaching vehicle to learn all the ins and outs of arcane investing. How can I be of help? Well, I had researched a few of the online brokerages um, and... The type of trading I'm wanting to do, there's going to be a, a high volume of transactions. So one of the criteria I was looking for was a low transaction fee. I decided to sign up with one of the discount brokerages, and uh, when it came time to transfer money into the account, I gave them my checking account and routing information, and then was prompted to enter my online banking username and, and uh, password. Wait, 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 wait. You only have to do that for, if you want them to do what's called screen scraping for you. Do they explain that? Well, yeah, I was, I was a little bit caught off guard, so I opened the chat window uh, to ask them you know, if there was a way. I wasn't comfortable giving that information, and they said the only other way to verify the account was to send them a picture of your driver's license, a bank statement, and a bill, or a copy of a bill. And I was just wondering if that's Normal? Yes, that is. There are certain standards that have to be met to verify a customer and also to create an audit trail that if somebody's using a brokerage account to to launder money, either a, a drug cartel or could be terrorism or whatever it would be, that there are specific procedures in place that require that they ask a lot of snooping kind of stuff. But that's only the beginning with a broker, because they also have to determine if you can handle the level of risk that you're looking to take on. Did you have to go through what's known as a suitability questionnaire yet? Um, Not yet, no. The first step was just signing up for the account, and then the next thing they prompted me with was how I wanted to fund the account. Okay. And normally, you can either send them a check, or, if, of course, if you link it to your account, then you can have the money transfer over. But you're interested in high-volume trading, correct? Yes. So the cost per trade is really significant and important for you. Every effort over the years that allowed for free stock trades has pretty much uh, gone into dust, but there was one where you could do stock trading for free, and it's called Robinhood. Okay. So you could look at Robinhood.com and see if you want to use that platform, because then you're paying nothing for trades, which yeah, is a good was, price. 
Yeah, that'd be great. I was a little bit concerned with going too cheap because I wanted to make sure that the platform would be responsive enough to make quick trades. Well, you know, if if you're you're not doing uh, minute-by-minute trading, are you? No, but okay. it would be with more volatile stocks. So. Okay. Well, in that case, go read the Barron's Guide. Barron's, B-A-R-R-O-N-S. They do an annual survey for various types of traders. Follow their guidance on which trader best fits the trading you want to do. Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Hi, I'm Clay Smith, host of Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews, the podcast for book lovers interested in interviews with best-selling authors, insider scoop on the hottest releases, reading ideas for book clubs and bibliophiles, and even tips about which books to skip altogether. So be sure to download new episodes of Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews every Tuesday. You can get it on the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe on iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. What we're learning about the Manchester bomber. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. But the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbour of the alleged bomber. The actual family that had been there, I'd, I'd never really come across them yeah. in bad ways. It was always, even when I said hello, they never seemed to speak back to you. It was just like kept themselves to themselves and that was about it. The British putting more military troops on the streets now as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating. President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican. I'm Rita Foley.